This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to Real Vision Crypto. For more great crypto content like this, head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. Hey, everybody. I'm sitting down today with Mr. James Davidson. Um, he's well known in these circles as one of the co-authors of the book, The Sovereign Individual. And he's also the editor of Strategic Investment Newsletter. Uh, also the author of several other books. And as we were just discussing offline, you've got quite the storied career. So James, it's an honor of mine to be speaking with you today and welcome to uh, Real Vision. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. So I want to jump in here to some of the big excerpts uh, that jumped out at me from your book, The Sovereign Individual. And this is something I have, a book I've been, I've read twice now. I've written quite a bit about it. And I've probably plugged your book in every media appearance I've done in the past five years. I think it's that important. Well, um, one of the major themes and one of the infamous excerpts of the book is that you wrote that microprocessing will subvert and destroy the nation state. And I should remind the audience that this book was written in 1997. Um, so maybe you could just start unpacking that a little bit for us. You know, how did you come to see microprocessing or digital technology, I guess, more generally as this force that would unwind and ultimately destroy the dominant institution in the world today, which is the nation state? Well, I have had a kind of gamey interest for a long time in the underlying forces that alter the costs and rewards of the use of violence and force in the world, which I think is a very important factor always in the outcomes that we see. I was particularly smitten by the impact that gunpowder weapons had on the size of governments and how they function. It, they were a huge tidal force that raised the scale of government. And government has grown, governance has become a matter of gigantic scale. And there are artificial economies to scale in government today, which have to do with the ability to mobilize huge divisions, which maybe through the first half of the last century actually were based on a what I call mega political reality, that having a bigger army and more tanks made you more successful. But then this all changed. The microprocessor is one of the things that changed it. And it, I can foresee that it would really be possible for a single individual, which is going to the smallest possible scale, to have his own 
army of bots, you know, using AI and whatever to create havoc, if not create an arrangement of power. And there's always a lag in these things, and there's always a, a negotiation, which is either explicit or it's implicit, like uh, the Putin negotiation over the, the land corridor into eastern Ukraine. He puts 100,000 troops or more on the border, and everybody's asking, what's, what's he want? And so something will play out that will create a balance between Ukraine and Russia, which is not an encouraging thing from my perspective, because I think that Putin is a sore loser. He's shown that. I mean, he was like Hitler, who was a sore loser about World War I, and his biggest animating desire was to overturn the Versailles Treaty, which had happened 20 years before, maybe. And uh, Putin's big gripe is with the fall of the Soviet Union. He thinks this is a great tragedy, and he wants to reaccumulate it under the influence of Russia, in a way. And I think that when you get a mad dictator who's crazy about fighting recent history, you're really on treacherous territory. You're not really sure what he's going to do. And there's a danger that there would be a war, a big war coming out of this, because I don't trust uh, President Biden and his advisors to get the better of it. And I have thought about the analogy with President Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis which I think is a good one because it entailed finding a win-win solution out of a uh, treacherous moment. And Kennedy did it by proposing to remove the intermediate-range missiles that the U.S. had stationed in Turkey in exchange for Khrushchev pulling back the missiles in, in uh, Cuba. It worked out, the world was not destroyed, we didn't have New York City bombed, but after the Soviet Union fell, it became it was confirmed that Khrushchev was planning an, an attack on New York City with hydrogen bombs, which would have been a devastating moment in our lives and those to come after us. So I, I think maybe we need somebody with brains that Kennedy had at the Hill helm today, and I'm not sure we do with Biden. He seems a little sleepy, as Donald Trump said. You, you know, something else you wrote in the book here, I think core to your point here is that we almost need to get away from the arbitrariness of political whim or opinion, right? That seems to be this great danger that you have someone like Putin with so much power, and he's in a, he's in a position that... Um, Really, his decisions affect the world disproportionately. So the more we can get to a world that's governed by, I guess, in Bitcoin, it's popular to say rules instead of rulers, the more stable um, the world will be. And one of the things you wrote in the book was that, quote, efficiency will become more important than the dictates of power in the organization of social institutions, unquote. So my question would be, what does this mean? for the dominant, what I call analog age institutions, which are everything pre-internet, you know, the dominant institutions 
that remain today are nation states, central banks, increasingly um, non-governmental organizations like the World Economic Forum. What does this mean for them? What is it, this shift towards efficiency uh, and away from the dictates of power? How does this transform the social institutions that we are familiar with? Well, it renders them anachronisms. And anachronisms don't all disappear at once. You know, you can look at the, uh, the fall of Rome as an example. Rome had been, talking about the Western Empire, had been very, very uh, powerful and everything depended on the emperor and the, the senators and others had great influence. You can look at the, uh, almost any, pick up any theme from the late, days of the Roman Empire, and you see the institutions of the empire being not necessarily subverted, but displaced, because people themselves could see that things were falling apart, and this created a kind of tidal force toward feudalism, because individuals in small towns or big towns in Italy and other places in the Roman West and Gaul particularly, started affiliating with large magnates in their local area. So they would have some protection when things all went to hell. Mm. And they did go to hell. And this became the basis of feudalism because the local guy became the duke or maybe a, just a baron or maybe even an earl if he was lucky. And the, the people who affiliated to these um, local warlords early on were more successful than the ones who were left out in the cold. Mm -hmm. I think that what we're seeing here, what we've already begun to see, if I could point out, is that smaller entities are more efficient. Mm -hmm. And you can see that if you look at the, the countries in the world that have the highest aggregate life expectancy, they're not big countries, though Korea and Japan are in the mix, but the ones that are the highest are Monaco, mm -hmm. <laughs> and Marino, mm -hmm. you know, Andorra, little tiny mini states, and they have the highest incomes, the highest life expectancies. And I think that this shows you something that we can easily extrapolate from our own experience as Americans when we see the blue and the red states. They're all sort of in a tangle over different issues. There's the abortion question, which is an important question to be sure, but it's something that splits people apart. Some, especially the rural people, are much more against it than the urban people. And uh, I think that we're losing a lot of the efficiencies that were created by the Constitution when we had a federal government replacing the Articles of Confederation, which was just a sort of wish list. You know, that mm. we were operating on wishes and printed money, which didn't work. Mm. And we tried to create a country with strong money, which is what the Constitution was. It prohibited the states from printing money, mm. but it didn't prohibit the central government from printing money. <laughs> it's where we've gone crazy. But 
this is also a point of interesting contrast because one of the things that technology has done is create the blockchain and Bitcoin and the other coins or blockchain currencies are becoming big. They're displacing government control. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're going to see is an attempt by government to co-opt the, the blockchain by having a Fed coin or something. Right. But that's going to ultimately create, and it already is creating, competitive currencies, which is what F.A. Hayek projected yeah. as a way of stopping the craziness. And I was a big fan of Hayek, and he actually liked me, so I... I <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Hey, if you like this clip, be sure to check out the full interview and more only on realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's 100% free. Sign up now.